When was the last time you read a book which centres the lives of black women? One of the ways we love to nourish our minds is through a good book, taking the time to indulge, learn and reflect. So it is with great pleasure that we invite you to read with us. And this month we are reading In Every Mirror She's Black, written by Nigerian-American author and photographer Lola Akimade Akastrom, currently based in Stockholm. Published by Head of Zeus, the paperback edition will be available on the 9th of June 2022 in the UK and look out for our review of the book in the coming weeks. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to season six, episode eight of the Black Women Working Podcast. It's me, Tolly, hosting today's episode, the last one of the season. It's been a great season so far. Hopefully you're all in agreement. And if you're not, well, keep it moving in it. <laughs> Ladies, please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nat. Sorry, Shan. <laughs> Sorry, right, babe. Chantel here. Hi, hey, everyone. Hi, it's Rachel. Oh, sounding all cute and that. Anyway, as usual, you can follow us at BW Podcast UK on Instagram and Twitter. Join a conversation using hashtag BWW Podcast UK. And you can always check out our website, which is www.blackwomenworking.com. Sorry. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever blundered. So, whatever. Um, so in today's episode, we have a very special guest. Um, she's a friend, um, a fellow University of Birmingham alumni. We actually did the same course, but just a year apart. It was English. Um, she's a heavyweight in the game of this particular topic that we're discussing today with at least a decade of experience. And I just thought she was a perfect guest for what we're discussing today because she's someone that did the very traditional route with this career path and so can speak to what that experience is like. As far as I'm concerned, she's probably one of the key kind of Black British figures in this particular sector, multi-talented and diverse professional who has worked for some of the country's biggest broadcasters, such as ITV, where she was a producer. She's presented for London Live as well. She's written for publications such as The Independent, Stylist Magazine, The Metro and many more and is currently a news feature producer at Good Morning Britain. Can we get some, you know, scroll, scroll. Hi, hey. <laughs> hey. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. Thank so, you. Jeez, that intro is crazy. <laughs> I'm not finished yet. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If you couldn't guess it before, you should certainly get it by now. We're going to be covering what it's like to operate in the journalism profession as a black woman working. So, guess now is your opportunity to introduce yourself and add any more accolades that I might have missed off. Damn, you got everything, to be honest with you. <laughs> you got everything there. Wow, when you put it like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've done a, I've done ah, a bit, bit of pieces. Not be smarting, not be smarting, though. What's yeah, your that, name, though, guess? <laughs> Say that again. What's your name, though? Oh, my name is Fumi Olutoye. There That's you my name. go, there you go. Remember that name, man, because you're, for me personally, when it comes to, like, Black women in journalism, you know, you have your Gillian, is it? No, she's not Anderson. I can't remember her surname now. Um, she's um, 
a broadcaster and presenter you also have Charlene White but you know you guys are so few and far between and you're definitely moving up into that kind of position for me in terms of your experiences and where you've been so yeah no need to downplay anything at all because you've really you put the work in and it's really kind of manifesting for you so without further ado we're kind of going to get into the subject matter of this particular episode and the first question I'm going to throw is actually to the rest of the BWW team are so hard to say sometimes just... <laughs> but anyway um the first question that I kind of want to ask you guys is what are your perceptions of navigating the journalism industry as a black woman working or what have you observed or know to be true Who's going to start that off? I think Natalie will start because she features left, right and centre. I think it is probably um, not that easy to get into. Um, Simply, oh, Rachel, why are you rolling your eyes? (laughs) Simply because um, it's one of those industries where it does have a lot of gatekeepers. Um, A lot of it is based on relationships. I mean, there was one time... I wanted to be a journalist and I actually wanted to be a music journalist. So I did like work experience with Rewind magazine. And then I quickly realized that I don't want that smoke. So it's very much like, I think it's one of those careers where you literally have to work really, really hard building your profile. Um, And I not say my career is easier, but I just wanted a more solid pathway that I could see in front of me. So I imagine that it's probably not an easy environment for black women to navigate. I think there's something like 2% of all journalists or something like that, I don't know what the figure is, are people of color, but that could be like hyperbole, I don't know. But it's Mm -hmm. meant to be a really low, 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 low percentage. I can believe that. Anybody else, Shan? Yeah, I'm not even gonna lie. I'm really interested to speak with and listen to Fumnita because gatekeepers is definitely a thing and I think in this current age of content creation everybody's a writer I mean here Mm. I am (laughs) no but it's like so I I think when we speak about gatekeepers like it's on one hand who are the people who have the keys to let you in but also two what does it mean to be good enough to to create content to be writing columns to feature because um there's been a couple of times when I've picked up articles um specifically around the workplace and I'm like we could have done this but then you tap into writing an article and you're like but then how do how do I get it picked up how does it actually get featured so I think gatekeepers is a big thing and I I hope we get to speak about that this evening Mm -hmm. and Rachel um I think my knowledge of it really is that people would have studied it in uni so I know quite a few people that studied at uni when I was there and they didn't really make it there they're now doing other things maybe slightly related to journalism but not actually a journalist and not actually doing the things that they potentially studied Mm. so that's kind of where I sit with it but also clients that I've had have got that as their degree but are doing something completely different Mm, I hear that so off the back of that, for me, how much of what they've said kind of resonates with you and your experience? Yeah, a lot, really, a lot, because um, 
gatekeeping is definitely a thing because, for example, when I first entered the industry, it was a question of, as you said, Tolu, you know, who you know and the relationships that you make. And obviously coming from, like, technically, you know, well, a black definitely, but technically a working class background, you have mm. none of those connections and you have to build them from the ground up. And so it's a question of being extremely tenacious, coupled with, you know, fingers crossed, having a very supportive family. And mm. that's what happened with me, basically. Like, if, if my mom did not kind of financially support me through the processes of doing tons and tons of free internships, I have no idea whether I would even still be in this industry because this is an industry I wanted to get into since I was 15. But obviously, the, the kind of hat you're wearing at 15 isn't necessarily the hat you're wearing when you're 20 or when you're 25. And mm-hmm. different challenges are kind of thrown at you. Um, you know, at 15, you're kind of having, you know, you're, you're seeing the world through rose tinted glasses. Not until you enter the world of work at 21, post uni, that you realize that, wow, like, yeah, I want to be a journalist, but it's very difficult to get into. And do you have the tenacity and the financial backroom to do that, if that makes sense? Like many of my friends, mm-hmm. and not just black, but also white, you know, people who just did not have the money to sustain themselves through those internships never really continued or just didn't make it. So, you know, it's, it's kind of two-pronged in that sense, but definitely that gatekeeping thing is a big thing. Like, one of my big breaks into the industry was as a result of someone quite high up in an organization who just took a chance on me. And God knows where I would be now if he did not take that chance on me. And he's my mentor till today because he mm. believed in me. So I kind of want to repay that back in terms of sticking by him and sticking close to him, if that makes sense. So, that you know, it's, 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 it, it was difficult. <laughs> it was definitely difficult. But you know what? It's mad because in that short like section, which you said, you've kind of touched upon so many of the areas that I want us to kind of dig a little deeper in today in this episode but I'm going to take it back a little bit and because I think that's a perfect segue into what was one of my next questions which was when did you know that you even wanted to do this and you said from the time you were 15 so at the age that you were 15 and maybe moving up into kind of university when you studied English is it a dream that felt kind of easily accessible to you um not really. And let me tell you why. Because when I was 15, what inspired me was when I was watching X Factor and the presenter of X Factor. I was like, wow, this woman is like doing an amazing thing. She's presenting, meeting Simon Cowell, meeting all these like different singers. And then when I went, went to research more about her, her name was Kate Thornton. She's the mm. presenter before Demet O'Leary. When I went to research more about her, I realized that she was a journalist. I was like, what's a journalist? And that's how I got to know more about journalism. I was like, well, that's much more interesting than only just being a presenter. And I saw that she went through the magazine route and she became an editor at 23 and all this kind of mm. stuff. So I knew then, I was like, okay, right, this is my kind of pathway in terms of um, doing English. Because a lot of journalists either did English, politics or history. Mm-hmm. And mm. I was fairly okay at English at school. So I said, okay, I'm just going to do that for uni. <laughs> but then when I got to uni now, my mom was really trying to derail me into doing law. So for about a year, 18 months, you know, I started to kind of see how law can work for me and all this kind of stuff. Um, and in terms of, you know, whether journalism was presented as a kind of like viable option, not really. I really had to kind of find this stuff, this stuff out for myself. But I think it's mainly because of the fact that, um, again, I just did not have those connections. I just didn't have the people around me to kind of give me um, that option as a career, so to speak. So I had to kind of find mm. that information for myself. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think that the biggest kind of... Um, 
I guess, threat to me choosing uh, journalism that early in my career was the fact that my mum was really pushing me into law. So mm, I hear that. I hear that. So just to go into your journey a little bit further, um, I believe that after you kind of graduated from uni, you went to journalism school. Is that correct? And what was that kind of like? And would you say that was something that was really beneficial to your career and that you're really kind of glad that you went through? Yeah, no, it definitely was. So it was a kind of like a fast track type of course. You can do different ones, but mine was fast track. And it was mm. beneficial because it kind of gave me the grounding and the basic of key elements of um, journalism. So, yeah, I mean, that was kind of a traditional thing. I don't think many people do that now in terms of getting the qualification, mm. but I definitely think it's worth it. Yeah. Mm. What made it particularly useful to you? And which one did you do? I did the NCTJ, which is the National Council Training of Journalists kind of diploma into multimedia journalism. Mm. Um, and the things that they teach are things like media law, how to court report, shorthand, which is the kind mm. of squiggly lines that make no <laughs> sense, but only yeah. to, to people like journalists. Um, they taught us things like just how to like write a news story, just very basic things like that, really. Um, which, are, you know, obviously you can learn on the job, but I think this is just kind of like a fast way of doing it, basically. Yeah, I mean, to me, that sounds like actually quite um, key and critical kind of information for people especially I guess at the time that you're doing it was just circa probably I don't know 2010 2011 social media hadn't really popped off like it had and I guess there wasn't a YouTube video necessarily for that and I do think the approach to journalism these days is a little bit different basically if you have a Twitter account <laughs> you're pra- you're practically a journalist and I know journalists exactly, really hate exactly. that I know people such as yourselves absolutely hate that because it's like where's the fact checking like why are you just saying things anyhow but um it's just testament to how far the world has kind of come along in res- in in that respect which we're going to touch on in a little bit more detail later but um moving forward I kind of wanted to um ask maybe some more challenging questions and by that I mean questions that probably speak to maybe the difficulty and perhaps uncomfortable challenges that you faced on this career path particularly as a black woman in journalism now you've spoken about how your mum was a key factor in supporting you in terms of enabling you to be able to do the internships um the free internships but there was a point where it kind of got even for her like this is enough now like (laughs) go and do something solid like go and do law so I guess one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was aside from kind of um, encountering that in within your family like have you ever been in a position where you were the only person who believed that you would be successful in that career path or should be pursuing it and how did you kind of like shout out kind of all the naysayers or people be like oh what are you doing that for do you really think you're gonna you know get anywhere with that like how did you manage that internally you know what I never really had any kind of doubt amongst friends you know I think your friends are very kind of almost a bit more supportive than family are Mm. because I guess in their own way they're all trying to find you know their feet in their careers but yeah definitely in terms of family Mm. Mm-mm-mm. have you ever kind of had experience any experiences on this journey though that have made you toy with the idea of like giving up journalism altogether like and how did you kind oh, of move times. past that uh-huh. yeah many times many times and if I'm honest with you it's mainly been financial because mm. again when you're 15 you don't really think about 
you know, financially, how is this going to work for you? Is it viable? Can you pay the bills? All this kind of stuff. So many times, trust me, many, many, many times, I'm like, you know what? I'm packing this in and I'm going to go and be an investment banker or something like that, you know? Mm. So, um, but never in terms of, you know, do I like the job? I've always liked the job and enjoyed what I've done. It doesn't necessarily feel like work. But yeah, no, definitely in terms of just how it crosses over into your personal life, in terms of, mm. you know, the hours that you do, that sort of yeah. thing. But yeah many times many times so what kind of keeps you pushing through all of that then you know what it almost feels like and I don't want to sound too deep but it kind of feels almost like a bit of a calling because Mm. I know the power the media has and we have to be grateful for that power so to speak but we also have to be very careful the way we use it because we know how much we can influence people whether deliberately or you know inadvertently so Mm. When you bear that in mind, it makes you grateful for the position that you're in. I guess another question I wanted to ask is like, what have been some of your most challenging personal moments in in this? Which kind of leads on from what you said, but has there ever been, I don't know, something that happened either with um, an interview or article or people that you were dealing with that was just really extremely challenging? Uh, I would probably say about Grenfell. Mm. I was down on the day to do like an art gallery type of story. Mm. And then my producer called me and said, oh, we're going to send you to West London. And I said, what's happening? And she said, there's been a massive fire. I said, really? She goes, yeah, it's like massive. Switch on the TV. So I switched on Sky News. And I saw how bad it was. I thought, oh my God. And at the time, I was living in a very big apartment block. And I went to the top of the building. And I was living in Brixton at the time. Mm. I could see the smoke from there. So wow. I knew, I was like, oh my God, this is, this, this story is huge. I don't know how he was going to be until I get there, but I can see that it's big. So when I got there, people were like wailing in the street, not understanding where their loved ones are. Mm. So much confusion. And you know, you're there to tell the story. So mm. I was a reporter at the time. But at the same time, you can't help but feel the human emotion and it was very very tough very tough to deal with that and that's the first day I've actually like cried during a story wow like in terms of like the support that you get for that like do they provide support within your workplace for that do they provide counseling or is it kind of just one of those things that you're expected to kind of deal with because it's part of the job you know what I think it really does depend on who you work for because at the time, mm. I was with London Live, and there wasn't really, <laughs> if I'm honest. Mm. But, you know, where I am now, ITV, very much so. I mean, throughout this Ukraine stuff, they've been constantly asking us, are you guys okay? If anyone wants to talk to us, there's like a 24-hour helpline, all this kind of mm. stuff. So I think it just depends on the broadcaster you're working for. Mm. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that those infrastructures are in place because I think it's important. So I'm going to throw this next question out to the team again. Like, what do you, in terms of, what support do you think that Black women need to be able to thrive in this industry, especially off the back of what Fumi's kind of said in their experiences? First, from an internal angle of, you know, having that self-belief, determination and hard work. But secondly, in terms of, you know, navigating the politics that clearly exist, that we've mentioned gatekeeping before and breaking down barriers. Like, what would you kind of say 
are the key kind of characteristics that black women probably need to thrive in this industry? I I think like and I, and for me please chime in I think it's about firstly just act not just being black like the very fact that when for me said oh you know this feels like a calling I what I love about the media more and more now is that we can see ourselves and we can be ourselves and actually you know even the whole premise of this podcast and much of the work that we do as individuals outside of podcast is about being our authentic selves and and giving people like us a platform and sharing our narrative and our voices in the way that we would like to and if I think about some of some of the people who are coming through at the moment um on all levels I, I mean namely at the moment I think it comes to mind is Candice Braithwaite for example and she's just totally in her own skin herself however it comes whatever it is this is who she is and I think authenticity and believing that that authenticity is okay is I would say a key feature for me we've definitely moved like respectfully and I definitely respect them you know the likes of Margaret Bugsby, Moira Stewart like I think when we saw them coming through even in male perspective Trevor we still sort of saw like Sir Trevor Phillips sorry respect um we saw like this whole idea of what it means to be a newscaster in the realm of what newscasters have looked like as opposed to this is my dream and this is who I am and this is what I'm coming through as so I think just being a black woman in that industry in your being is important mm. what about you guys Rachel Max what do you think in, in that respect um I feel like based on people that I've spoken to and those that have kind of managed to find a path to get into journalism I really do think it is about you know your personality and how you present yourself um in in the arena that you're in I think they if you are a boring person for example and I'm not saying anyone boring but if you come across boring and they're not you're not up to what they would like to see mm -hmm. they're not really gonna be picking you for stuff they'll pick you for little stories like there was a, a young girl that I used to work with she um was in the journalist field but they always used to give her like little small stories nothing major and there were people there that came way after her that were doing a lot more and I, and mm. I told her I think you need to be more confident in yourself you need to push your personality she had a really nice personality but I don't think she was able to show it there and I think there were elements of the workplace that were a bit daunting and where she didn't feel as confident so I feel mm. like definitely confidence and pushing your personality and how you are definitely can potentially get you to an, another level of journalism mm -hmm. so 100 percent. I, I so agree with that sorry yeah, to it sounds like... I was gonna say <laughs> I definitely agree with that imposter syndrome is a big thing for black people in general but definitely in the media industry like I still suffer with that today I still suffer mm. with that today believe me it's only like maybe in the last 18 months I'd say that maybe I'm only just getting over that but yeah and that's crazy because you've been doing this for almost like 10 years but yeah speak to, to Rachel said is basically charisma you've got to you've got to have that because nobody just wants to see someone deadpan reporting I mean there is a place and a space for that actually in um, certain broadcasters and reporting certain things but if it's um 
I don't know, news on the ground. I'm trying to think of some of my favorite reporters, but they're not coming to mind. You want someone who's going to give you that information in a way that is just totally enthralls and captivates you. So if your personality is a bit like a blanket or the confidence isn't there, then yeah, that's going to act as a detriment to your career more so than in other um, sector. Um, yeah, any other sector. And that's what, what do you think? I mean, I think it's difficult to have a deadpan personality in any sector, especially as a <laughs> as a black person, even mm. doing something as boring as being a lawyer. Like you do need to have charisma. As a black person, that's the key thing there. Yeah, no, but as a person in general, like. Oh, no, you can have a deadpan personality and get through many, many career paths. Well, not any ones that I'm in. I don't know. But I think <laughs> for other career paths, not necessarily. But yeah. I think also it's important to like to know your network and to understand how your workplace is and who makes decisions um mm. because a lot of the time I think maybe it's possibly part of imposter syndrome but we're literally just looking like right ahead of us or right above us and we we don't really take time to fully understand the different relationships at play and who holds influence where so sometimes you can be like someone that is adjacent to your team outside of your team that can, if building a relationship with them can help you get opportunities as well. Understanding that you don't just have to speak to people specifically around you, you can talk to and network with other people and find out about what different people are doing. Sometimes we're just trying to survive and we're not trying to rock the boat too much. We're literally just keeping our heads down. And like on top of what Rachel said in terms of personality, that is probably the worst thing that we could be doing, just being like, oh, I'm just here by the grace of God. So let me just do my work and go home. But like, you need to understand like the wider political relationships at play and figure out how you can, how you can use those current structures in order to get the best for, for your career, I think. 100%, I'm there with you as well. And that's something that I always say, like that whole mentality that a lot of us have where, yeah, let's just go to work and just, I wanna clock out and go home. But then in the same breath, you also be complaining about how I didn't get promotion, how I didn't get pay rise, all these things. All these things tie into each other. You have to kind of understand that. And it's a bit naive to be a member of the workplace and believe that you'll be entitled to kind of the promotions or the um, advancements in your career without actually putting in the work, putting in the effort. You don't have to like love everybody but you do have to show that kind of general professional respect for who they are as professionals and even show some interest um at times in what they who they are as people and perhaps what they're pursuing outside of the workplace you don't have to overdo it but it is kind of critical um, <clears throat> to engage in that respect so i agree with all of you in terms of probably what it takes um in terms of um, advancing in the career space such as this and even just generally in other career spaces as well and I think that's something that people can take from the world of journalism or any other kind of career path so moving it back to you for me one of the questions that I wanted to ask which you kind of already touched on was like who's been the greatest career Sorry. advocate um, for you so far and how did what they do change positively change things for you in your career Oh, can I, am I able to pick two? Can I yeah. pick two? Yeah. Or just one? No, okay. you can have two. So the first one was, okay, great. My, my first one was a guy called Pete Meekle, who at the time, when I first knew him, he's my mentor now, he was news editor at, at uh, Good Morning Britain, which at the time was called Daybreak. And um, so basically I had applied for ITV News traineeship 
And basically, that was like basically just being a trainee, and I, you become ITV News' baby essentially. And they only take at the time was I think somewhere between eight or nine people a year. Um, but on that particular year, they only took four of us. And so basically, you have to do like an assessment day, and they watch you the whole day. You do tests, and you do this, you do that. And at the very end of the day, after the the massive interview that you do with a three panel interview, the all the heads of news from across the country come together and kind of discuss who to choose. So he had told me, because um, I did get the traineeship in the end, but he had told me that in that room, they were kind of bouncing between me and another girl who I think went to like Oxbridge or something. And he was one of the people that kind of spoke up and said, no, like we can't keep going for the same type of person. Let's take a chance on this girl. And he told me that um, about a year or two later. So he's always kind of championed me from that get-go. But even now, like when I have career decisions, I go to him and ask him, because he's been in the game for like 20, 30 years. Um, so he was the very early one. Then the one recently is Claudia Liza Armour, who's the Channel 5 News anchor now. I met her at London Live where we used to work together. She was a presenter and I was one of the junior producers. And she has always championed me from the day I met her. She's always told me, you're better than you think you are. You're this, you're that, you're really good. Believe in yourself, you know, all that kind of stuff. And she's always like been at the junction points of where I've had to make major decisions. She's always been kind of like a soundboard for me, always been someone that I can go to and just kind of, you know, just, I guess, tussle with ideas, for example, when she's also not afraid to kind of tell me, no, for me, that's a crap idea, think about this. I mean, she doesn't say it in that way. She's very gentle. If anyone knows Claudia Eliza, she's a very gentle soul. So she'll tell me in a gentle way, but she'll tell me nonetheless that, you know, think along these lines rather than these lines. So those two definitely have been my big. As you mentioned, Claudia, we speak about like sisterhood at the work in the workplace really often. You know, this season we've even spoken about what does it mean for black women to bring in other black women. What what would you say sisterhood looks like in your industry? Hmm, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. I think because from what I can see, sisterhood in the social media like realm of things is very apparent and very strong. But in the traditional media, because there's so few of us, um, I feel like it's almost just establishing. It's only just establishing now. Um, but for me, if I was to kind of create a new sisterhood circle for you know, new journalists coming up, it'd, very, it'd be very much along the lines of mentorship. Because I think mentorship, no matter what industry you're in, is very, very key. Because um, it will save you a lot of drama. It will save you a lot of bad mistakes. Because these mentors that are mentoring you, they have made those mistakes almost on your behalf. <laughs> So you don't have to go through the same thing. So I would like to see a bit more, I guess, um, mentorship within the traditional media. But I think that will come naturally as more of us are in the media, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. I can see it in the social media, you know, arena, like people always like big each other up. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's mentorship there as well. Um, but yeah, I think hopefully those kind of attributes can cross over into the more traditional media. Um, I wanted to take it a step back, actually, because you mentioned those two people, but I think what's important for the people listening to understand is how to forge those relationships in the first place, um, where people get into the position where they do want to advocate for you and they're singing your name in spaces where you might not be present and they're just kind of championing you. So how did you develop your relationship with those two people to the point that they are just your, do you know what I mean? They're your champions wherever you go now. I think, so obviously those two I kind of came across. Um, so it was kind of organic in that sense. However, um, 
I think if I was to go back now, what I would do is just be a bit more tenacious in terms of trying to make personal connections, which I did at the very, 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 very start of my career. But I kind of tailed off as I got into my first big break. I should have really continued that. So my advice to people would be, you know, don't be afraid to email someone and say, look, I really love your work. I love what you do. Or I want to be you in 10 years time or whatever. And build that report from them. Like, obviously, don't bombard them <laughs> with mm-hmm. emails. But, you know, offer, you know, let's, you know, let's go for a coffee. Can I have five minutes of your time? Do you have a five-minute chat? Can we just do a five-minute Zoom? Just something that's not going to, like, overburden them. But at the same time, you know, show how tenacious you are about what you want to do and that, and that you're serious about what you want to do. Um, but, yeah, in, in my experience and looking back now, it only takes an email, you know. Um, mm. And obviously, some people respond and some people may not. But what have you got to lose? Exactly, exactly. If you don't try it, how can you ever know? Um, so I'm going to throw this out to the team as well because Femi's mentioned her own kind of platinum level advocates but what experience have you guys have um, with those kind of people in your lives and where it's kind of really pushed your career um, forwards and without that and you can recognize the tangible impact of that in where you are today? Um, I have very similar similar experience to um, for me my first my first employer who I reference often, she was a let's take a chance on her. Um in my applica- like my it was my first job post uni. Um and I think there's there's something to be said about like not playing safe. And if you are a recruiter or you're a leader that's in, in the position where you hire, to think about diversity in your workplace and diversity doesn't just mean pick a black one pick a female you know it's it's also a matter of class it's also a matter of just whatever is different from your current landscape um and I'll forever be grateful for that because that's that's it takes one person to let you in right it's always you need experience to get experience but somebody's got to let you have that experience so um, that one definitely sings to me and even my current job um, was my first mentor from 10 years ago um, I mean we get we got along very well anyway but I think your question on like relationship management and maintenance is really important um, in that it wasn't hard for her to find me to say there's something come up I think you're the guy because every so often we'd stop off for a, a coffee every half term or whatever and whilst um whilst we can talk about chasing and forging new relationships I think it's also really important to maintain the ones that have taken you along your journey as well 100% what about you guys Rachel Nats? you don't have champions in the workplace for you yeah I have <laughs> champions every day um I don't really have much to add because I, I feel like um, I've been very vocal in terms of saying that you know, I'm part of a diversity scheme, right? That's why I have this career mm. because I went through a scheme and I got a mentor through that and that helped me get like my first graduate position. And from then I've always kind of, where I've met people, I've, I've tried to keep in contact with them like Shan says. Um, I do have champions in my my current workplace, most definitely, but I've, I've, I'm like Shan, like, in the sense of if you meet someone um, and you have a good relationship, like you have to, you don't have to be in their business, beggy, beggy, beggy every two minutes, but like, it's good to do like a year, a yearly check-in, a six month check-in. And like, mm. I'm going to meet up with my old boss um, who I haven't worked with since 2015. 
but we still zoom during lockdown and you know I've still got a few things to bounce off of her so I feel like it's one thing to to start the relationship but it really does count Mm. for something when you manage to maintain it and it can be a LinkedIn message or an email for coffee or five minutes or even offering to the extent that you can to do something that helps them or if you see something that might be of interest to them because sometimes if it's just a one-way street or if you're just asking about yourself it can be a bit draining for the other Mm. person so I'm definitely like the product of multiple champions I try and be greedy and keep them all but um (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't be there if I didn't just have the guts to walk into people's offices and actually be like, hey, I'm here. Sometimes I'd be like, you're black, I'm black. <laughs> but not directly, but in terms of that's that's kind of where I'm going. I'm going round and round, but that's the point I'm making. But um, yeah, definitely mm. like big products of champions. Like hearing you guys say that is like, it's really challenged me because I'm not sure I'm very good at doing that. Like there's people that I've worked with before that have become my friends. But in terms of maybe like where the relationship um, was, the person was senior to me and not kind of my peer in the workplace. um, I don't think I've really maintained anything like that. And I think having this conversation, that's something that I'm just definitely going to try to do. I think it's been a bit difficult or different for me because I keep kind of changing careers (laughs) so but then again that's not an excuse because it's not always about the career path it's just the relationship with the person and we're all people working in the workplace and we all have something to contribute in terms of our experiences and that can be beneficial in in a reciprocal fashion so yeah I'm really kind of challenged by what you guys have said and it's um, I can be the person where I'll be like yeah I'm going to keep in touch and sometimes I do but sometimes I don't because life just kind of um gets to me but I love the fact that you know you're meeting up with a boss from like what five six seven years ago do you know what I mean I think that's fantastic Rachel do you have kind of people like that in your life as well unfortunately I don't really have any champion or somebody championing me or I have ex-colleagues that I talk to um, some which are more senior than me but they're not really in a role that I want to go into so yeah they do speak to me and we have a little chat and we speak but it's not really them like kind of pushing me forward I would say so like listening to what Natalie for me and um, Shan have said kind of like are pushing me to like want to have that relationship more but I really would like to actually work with a person and then kind of forge a relationship there I don't want to just pick someone and be like yeah, because I've I've actually messaged people and emailed people, like for me I said, like I've done that. And mm-hmm. I have had a good feedback from that. And you know, speaking to people, maybe having a Zoom call here and there and having it going through emails with them, but it's never gone into like a mentorship type of relationship. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I want and what I think I need, because I really want to move forward in my career, but I haven't managed to get that yet. So I'm still working on it. <laughs> Mm, it's funny because I think in certain workplaces I've had that kind of relationship with people within the workplace but for me it's just the maintaining it um past moving on from the workplace like I definitely do have champions in the workplace people who sing my praises so to speak when I'm not there and then somebody else tells me oh so and so said this and I'm like oh really and in my head I'm like that's why you can never move mad <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean this is what, this is what I was gonna say as well like I think there's also something about like believing in your own source 
and being consistent. So if we take the podcast, for example, as we're speaking about champions, like I don't, I can't name them all, but I can definitely name the titles. If we think about some of the exposure we've had from national platforms, whether that's the Mm. BBC or Stylist or Times, or, you know, even Sheffield University tweeted and said they'd put us on their reading list. Like there's people that are seeing us who we don't even know are seeing us. So mm-hmm. there's also a matter of like being consistent in what you have to offer because you never know who is who is waiting to snap you exactly. up. It's not always the case of um, you reaching out and having to, to ask and beg even. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the work is able to speak for itself. So for those people who have noticed us, thank you and for those people who have the power to notice us and continue to spotlight (laughs) us we're here continue we're here here. and on that note I want to shout out my old boss because she's a proper champion of this podcast she she posted it on her LinkedIn told people in the workplace and somebody in the workplace then emailed me and said I listened to one episode it was really good and I was like swear down yeah I thank you thank you do you know what I mean so yeah again as we always say on this podcast is um Building relationships is really important. Don't be that person that goes into the workplace and just wants to do your hours and go home. It's not really going to be beneficial for you, not in terms of your career, but even as like a person in general, like there's nothing fulfilling about that. That makes you feel more like you're in a rat race and everything is off, that everything is empty. But before I go down a digression, I want to take it back to you for me because I wanted to ask you, because you are, you've worked and you still continue to work across lots of different work streams of journalism but do you have a particular preference do you prefer producing reporting or does it just depend on what season your life is in at the time I you know I like the versatility but um I've always wanted to work in tv I have always wanted to work in tv from day one so if someone put a gun to my head and said you know choose a a part of journalism and this is going to be for, for life, it would definitely still be something within the realms of, even if it's not TV, just, you know, the realm of video. I like creating moving mm. picture and telling stories through moving picture. So for me, whether that's like TV or if it's online, just, just telling news stories and telling feature stories through video and moving picture is what has always been my bag. Um, so yeah, that's probably the one I would choose. But don't get me wrong. I, you know, I like writing and, I recognise that, you know, I'm somewhat okay at it, but I don't know if that's something that I would want to do forever and say, yeah, this is me. I think it's more just kind of it's kind of keeping my, my hands in different mm-hmm. pies, yeah, for now. But definitely sticking within the realm of video. I mean, that's another conversation itself, whether TV's mm-hmm. going to last in the next five to ten years. But, you know, video will never die. It's just going to move platforms, basically. And wherever video goes, where I will. Do you know go. what? As you were talking, it gave me, like, the biggest strike of nostalgia because do you remember Say It Louder? Yes, it's uni. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, guys, for your context, yeah. um, I don't know, you guys have probably heard of Kane the Andrews by now. I think, I can't remember what he's a professor of, but um, so we were all at the University of Birmingham together and he created um, a group called was it say it louder well, that was was that the name of it yes say it say it louder was the newsletter yeah yeah say it louder the was the newsletter. newsletter so and i think you and maybe aaron um so he's a fellow journalist as well um aaron roach bridgman um you guys wrote for the letter i think i wrote for the online version of it as well so yeah when i think back on it we kind of always been 
like writers and in this writing bag like any kind of opportunity we've kind of just seized them but for me journalism was never something that I wanted to do because it just looked like too much effort and I did I'm not sure I cared enough to be honest with you I was like okay English degree but yeah that doesn't mean um I really want to write but bringing up that memory is just to give people um, a bit of context into how long this journey can be and that you need to have perseverance you need to know where you're going what you want to do to a certain extent and just kind of stick in there and like you said like attach yourself to the right people uh, make sure you're not draining them make sure you're being productive make sure you're being tenacious um innovative and keeping your eye on what's going on out out there see you've just said something just now you're you're thinking you know 10 steps ahead you're looking at you know the plane of journalism as it moves forward into the next five or ten years and I think it's important for people wanting to get into this career path to also be people that are thinking not only of what's presently happening happening but where is journalism going and how can I be productive in a direction that it's going or how can I kind of step ahead of that because then you become um, extremely invaluable to wherever you're going so I think that's also an aspect of journalism as well it's not just knowing the skills and having the talent to be able to um, dispense news whatever that might be whether it's politics whether it's entertainment but it's also being a forward thinker as well and just being able to think ahead so um, yeah definitely yeah does anyone Anyone have any more questions for Fumi before we start wrapping up? Can I can I just yeah. add something before you know, you round up? There's one thing I was going to mention. What you just said there is so true because when we entered the industry, we were told that look, newspapers are dying. So if you go into newspapers, you know, be weary. You may not have a job in the next at the time two mm. to five years. And mm. lo and behold, you know, some newspaper, newspapers have died in the last ten years, and, and more will die in the years to come. So definitely, you know, I feel like as much as TV is still a big thing now and, you know, people still watch TV, as we all know, the Netflix is of this world, the movies of this world, Amazon Prime's of this world, they're all moving into the direction of where people are just watching Mm -hmm. TV when it's convenient. So the kind of job that I have now, which is linear television, Mm. you know, my job may still exist, but it may not exist within linear television. When I say linear, I mean in terms of, you know, you switch on a program at six o'clock or you switch on a program Mm -hmm. at eight o'clock. Now it's going to be more like you create a program and then people just watch it whenever. So I think every journalist that goes into this industry has to bear that in mind that, you know, A, is your job going to exist in the next five to 10 years? And B, if it does, how much of it will change? Because people before me, you know, the Gen Xs of this world, the boomers of this world, their, their jobs in journalism have changed unbelievably so. Like, I'll never mm. forget that I was, I, was, I was in the newsroom the day that The Independent got shut down in terms of the print operation. And that basically mm. meant that, I mean, journalists can still write for the paper online, but all the people that their jobs pertain to the actual physical copy printing of that paper, their jobs were gone overnight, basically. Mm. And so these are things that people need to think about whenever you're going into the different realms of journalism. You know, you, you, just, you just have to, because media is so fast, fast moving. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, what will keep journalism alive? And what is it about the magic for some people who are able to enter in, in such a what can be a fragile field you know what i think i think look journalism is under threat don't get me wrong because as you said Tolu, anyone who can just set up a twitter account can call themselves a journalist but i think as we're moving into this era of you know fake news and fake mm. information and people not really knowing what's going on it's now more than ever that journalists like myself in tv or journalists in newspapers or, or you know in any other arena have to really stake their claim in terms of why it's very important that we exist because you need mm-hmm. to be able to have trusted sources 
And also, journalism isn't just about, you know, the entertainment and talking about Kim Kardashian. It's also about holding power to account, you know. If, 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 if things like, um, like Partygate are happening and, and journalists don't report it, more stuff like, like that will happen and probably worse stuff. And so it's our job, and this is why I was saying about it being a calling, it's our job to shine a light on things like that, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think with every journalist, we just have to kind of take our position seriously because we are supposed to be the truth tellers and we're supposed to be the ones who verify information and people should be able to trust what we say, if that makes sense. And in fact, that's exactly. another reason why I went into TV because TV is a lot more regulated and we can't just kind of spew out anything like how the newspapers do. And I'm not saying newspapers make stuff up. I mean, some do, but I'll get it wrong. But <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is, what I'm trying to say is, you know, newspapers clearly have a very, you know, obvious bias, whereas TV, we have to be a lot more careful in terms of our impartiality not just in BBC, but also in ITV because we're banned by Ofcom. And so for me, yes. that's what appealed to me because I felt like we're able to kind of talk about stuff without there ever being a bias or some sort of an agenda. I mean, don't get me wrong. Humans in general always have a bias and agenda, but I think with TV, it's a lot harder within the news field to do that than it is with, say, newspapers, if that makes sense. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And... That just strikes me back to some time that I spent when I was working in a BBC. It wasn't with, uh, it was within production, in College of Production. And I guess it used to frustrate me just how many rules we had to follow before we could publish something and just like a podcast or something and just how we had to write things and the training we received in in order to come across as impartial um but it's really key and that's reason why that particular broadcaster is one of the most trusted in the world I don't know if that's still the case now but um it's really important the work that journalists do but the moment any of you kind of compromise that or any kind of falsity enters the narrative then that's going to be a really scary time because people use the work of journalists to um, get comfort to be honest with you and assurance especially when things like the situation that's happening um, are occurring around the world we want the news that is telling us the truth about what is occurring and if for any reason it's exposed to be that it's biased or other people are impacting that then that can really actually shake the foundations of the earth not to be dramatic but um I really believe that so um as we round up this episode I think for me it'd be good if you could summarize just maybe like maybe three to five points um or top tips for anyone wanting to get into journalism or already within journalism as to how they can can kind of not only advance their career but also be um be valuable in terms of what they're offering um as a journalist um wherever they might be okay yeah sure um i think one of the main things i would say that i wish someone said to me back when i was 15 is be absolutely sure that this is something that you want to do because journalism isn't one of those careers where you switch off at five o'clock or you switch off at six o'clock or you start at nine. No, you know, there's a real element of it taking over your life and you have to be okay with that because that's the nature of the job because increasingly so, news never sleeps. And so you need to be absolutely sure that this is something that you are okay with that happening. Number two, I'd also say, think a lot about the finances as well because journalism, as I said, takes over your life, but it also doesn't recompense well. I think the recompense is, the fact that you enjoy your job because I think like I said earlier I don't 
necessarily feel like this is work for me. I don't dread Monday mornings like other people do. But at the same time, maybe those people get paid a lot more because they do dread Monday mornings. Does that make sense? So I think yeah. also just be mindful of that as well. Another thing I'd probably mention is about being tenacious. Never lose your tenacity. Never lose your outgoingness. And even if you're an introvert, try your best to be outgoing because in this industry, you're not going to survive if you're constantly an introvert. It doesn't work that way. You have to be outgoing. You have to be networking. You have to always be constantly meeting people, always constantly building your contacts book. Your contacts book today should not be the same contacts book tomorrow. The more people you know, the better. I never burn a bridge. Like one of the things I always tell people is I don't burn bridges with any of my ex-boyfriends because I never know when they, <laughs> who they might know. No, I'm serious. I'm so serious i never been a bridge with anybody because you never know who that person may know in whatever story does that make sense so mm -hmm. never been a bridge with anybody always keep in contact with everyone even if it's a thing where you haven't spoken to them in like two three years it doesn't matter just still have their numbers make sure it's update or have their email or have their facebook or have their whatever social media handle so a big contact book is, is a huge thing um and also definitely get mentors mentors i think are very very important because as i said earlier it will help you to um, not make the same mistakes that people have done before you. You know, experience is a good teacher, but the best teacher is to learn from other people's experience. Does that make sense? You don't want to have to go through a lot of fire just to learn a lesson when someone else has been through that fire maybe five years before you. Mm -hmm. They get mentors as well. Um, I think that's probably the key things I would say about just being tenacious, make sure you're sure, and just, and just be okay with the fact that this is not just a job that switches off at five. Like you could be mm -hmm. there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I used to do overnight shifts. You know, it's, it's, it's a 24 hour job and you need to be 100% sure that you are okay with that, you know. But, but I think maybe the main thing I would say is enjoy it because journalism is one of those careers where it is a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. And, you know, as much as it, sometimes it can grind on you in terms of the long hours and, the unsociable hours and all that kind of stuff. It can be a lot of fun. You get invited to different places. You get to meet all kinds of different people. Like, honestly, if you see my contacts book, I know, I know politicians, I know CEOs, I know strippers. I also know drug dealers. <laughs> I know everybody. I know everybody. And that is the name of journalism. You need to know everyone from every arena of life, you know, and be personable, you know, because that's the mm. way to make the contacts, not I just for it. your career, but also for the stories. I love it. I love it. I never burn a bridge with any of my ex-boyfriends. I think that's Oh, no, fantastic. no, no, I don't. Definitely, I don't. If I even tell you, like, I, even, I think last year, I had a major argument with one of them, and, and, we, and, that, and that bridge was burned. And I said, oh, my God, I, I need to repair this bridge because I know this guy knows a lot of people, and he could help me in the future. So literally, just a few months ago, I just sent him my text. I said, look, just stop all your wahala, jarey. Look, it's all good. Let's just be mates. And then the bridge was repaired because... He's in, a, he's in another part of the industry. He's, he works in um, like theatre and stuff. That I don't know, I might do a theatre story in the future where he may know contacts. But mm. because I'm like proud or because I'm doing, oh, you know, big girl, I don't want to talk to him. No, like keep every bridge alive because you never know when you may need that person, you know. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us for me. We really enjoyed this. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm apologies for me being in the middle of Mexico in the airport. So <laughs> I really like, thanks for bearing me. I love speaking to you girls, you girls and your podcast. It sounds amazing how you're profiling black women. I just love it. So thank you hey. so much for inviting me. Listen, life is for the living. And bearing in mind, you say you work in journalism, no one's going to begrudge you being in the airport in Mexico. Reporting live and back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Come on. Yes. <laughs>
for me cool and on that note this episode has drawn to a close so as per usual thank you so much for listening everyone as we always tell you please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend I forget how many of these tell a friends the main point is that you tell a friend um remember you can always keep the conversation going by using hashtag bwwpodcastuk and follow us on instagram and twitter at bwwpodcastuk um email us dm us um if you want to email us it's blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com um thank you because we've had some really great emails recently uh from our listeners and hopefully you guys have got all the responses or the episodes that you needed with regards to that um but on that note this is the final episode of season six. I can't believe it. Um, it's actually been such a whirlwind tour, to be honest with you. I feel like this is the fastest season ever. Um, but as you know, that's never just it for us. We will be keeping up our interactions with you by dropping some let's talk about it episodes as per usual and maybe just maybe there might be some other some something along the way we ain't promising nothing because you know how it is but keep your ears peeled uh subscribe on spotify soundclouds apple Podcasts. tell other people to subscribe if you have time leave us some comments or what do they call it a review that's it on apple Podcasts. and um, yeah that's it from us today take care Honey, no yeah. song today no no do you know what Farewell, you're right farewell no I'm just not in the mood. I gotta be in the mood. No, so it just occurred to me just now I was gonna sing it. But it's not every day sing, do you know what I mean? I'm developing oh. as an individual. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but yeah, that's it from us today, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.